Well, good to see you in the house of the Lord this evening. Would we'll take your Bible and turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, and I'm going to read the first 17 verses. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, wherefore, the word wherefore is a conjunction, so it connects us to chapter 11. Chapter 11 is the faith hall of fame of the Bible, where those who endured affliction and trials and, uh, and we're victorious for the Lord through his, his grace. And so seeing we have this great cloud or company of witnesses, verse 1 again, middle of the verse, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the races set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are you bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father's spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness." Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down, and the feeble knees. Make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, and let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men, and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Look diligently, lest any man fail the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or for profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know how afterward, when he ever would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. So, tonight we're going to look at why painful experiences come. Why painful experiences come. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your precious word. We thank you, Father, for the instruction and the, and the exhortation that we can receive from it and the correction. I pray, Father, would you just help us to uh, have uh, hearts and attitudes that are open and receptive to your word tonight that we might be strengthened and challenged and encouraged and convicted of our need and our um, um, many times our lack of faith just to trust you as we ought. So, Lord, just work, and may you be glorified. 
And we'll thank you and praise you. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the songs we sang kind of talked about, you know, the, that, that life is, you know, it's not, a, it's not lived on a mountaintop. Uh, you know, down in the valleys in darkness of night, the last song has a phrase in there. God leads his dear children along. Uh, the psalmist, Psalm 23, says, though I, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. And here in this passage, in verse 1, he says at the end of verse 1, Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Um, the Christian life, somebody has compared it, it's not a sprint. It's more like a marathon. Marathons are kind of grueling. They're long. They're tiring. They're a lot of hard work. And that's really what the Christian life is. It is full of tribulations after all. You know, we do live, do live in a world that is opposed to God. And so if you don't find opposition, whose side are you on? You know, we're going, we're going, we are going to be opposed. Jesus told his disciples in John 15, they hate me, they're going to hate you. And so he, he, in chapter 16, he says, these things I speak unto you, let, so you not be offended. No, so don't be surprised if they hate you because they hated me. So if you're, if you're going to live for God, don't be surprised if the world has ought with you and opposes you, at which they will. And we see here from this, even here in this passage, about how they oppose Jesus. But as we think about painful experiences or chastening, as is really the subject of this passage, uh, notice, I want to notice several things. It's, it's part of God's educational program. Uh, chastening, as we think about chastening, chastening has to do with, we often think of child training, or we could just say training. And, and chastening is never pleasant, but the idea that we would even need chastening infers what? That in some area we're wrong. Some area we need corrected. And, and I don't think there's, in fact, I shouldn't say it that way. There has never been a person who hasn't needed some chastening somewhere along the way in his walk with the Lord. Just as there's never a, such a thing as a child that never needs chastening. Now, there are children that need more chastening than others. You know, we had six. And I, I won't say any more, but there were more, some that needed more chastening than others, you know. Um, you know, my older siblings, I was one of 11. And, of course, my older siblings, I was number seven, I think. Seven or eight. Anyway, the older ones always say that we got it worse than the younger ones. And I just simply said, yeah. I watched what you got, and I said, I ain't doing that. <laughs> you see, you can learn. You can learn several ways. You can learn from observation or, or, you know, or, or instruction, or you can learn from being chastened. And, you know, you can learn a lot. You know, and that's why the Bible gives us all these illustrations over and over again in the Old Testament, for example, of, you know, this is what they did, and this is what happened. Don't do that. If you're a wise man, you'll learn from others' sin. And, and so those things are written for our admonition upon whom the end of the world will come. But we do go through painful experiences, and it is part of God's educational program. The word chastening is used seven times in verses 5 through 11. And, and of course, you know, it, it isn't just God's people that 
that go through painful experiences, you know, God allows all of humanity, I think, to go through difficult trials for the purpose of bringing them to a realization of their need of Him. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 12. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 12. 1 Peter 2 and verse 12 says, well, let's read verse 11 with it. It says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles. So the word Gentile here refers to the unsaved, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now, the day of visitation refers to a, a, a time of, of calamity or catastrophe in their life, so that when they have something that comes into their life that, that brings them to a place where they need help, they acknowledge they need something beyond themselves, they will... Peter said here, you need to have a good conversation so they'll look to you for hope. Because we are his witnesses. We are the testimony of Christ to the world. And so we, we are the source that they can go to uh, to receive help. When, when Cornelius needed help to, to learn who God was, God sent him to Peter. Or sent, you know, he said, go send, send for Peter. When, when, when uh, um, the Ethiopian eunuch needed the scriptures explained to him. He sent Philip to him. And, and that's, that's, the way it, that's the way it works in the Bible. You know, the, the, the Gentiles needed the gospel. They needed, they needed the word of God taken to them. Paul, or the Lord sent Paul and Barnabas and others, of course. So, uh, you know, it isn't just God's people that need chastening or that God allows difficulties to come into life. It, you see, it is for... It's for the purpose of bringing us, either as Christians, into a closer walk with Him or bringing people to Christ. Somebody said this, Tragedy is His disguise, or disappointment is His appointment. In Psalm 119, verse 71 says, The psalmist said, It's good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. In Isaiah, verse uh, chapter 30, I think it's 26, Isaiah 26 and verse 10 is an interesting verse I come across here not too long ago and I marked it in my Bible. Isaiah 26, 10 where it says, Let favor be showed to the wicked, yet will he not learn righteousness. In the land of the uprightness will he, de- will he deal unjustly and will not behold the majesty of the Lord. So if, 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 if all the wicked ever receives is favor, the Lord says, he'll not. He'll not learn righteousness. I remember talking to a neighbor lady one time about a farmer that I knew, and he was he uh, he was unsaved, and I I think he died that way. And I talked to him several times, but he was very he was quite a profane man. But uh, but he attended a, he attended later years a Protestant church, but you know, but anyway. Uh, that didn't help him. But, but uh, and this lady said this to him, I think life's just been too good to him. I said, yeah, I think that's part of the problem. Yeah, that's part of the problem with a lot of Americans. Life's too good to them. They don't need God. They don't need help. We see chastening or painful experiences are part of God's educational program. 
We see also here in this passage, particularly speaking of God's people, and of course you could apply this to the lost as well, it is part of God's love. In verse 6 it says, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. See, you know, we know that God loves the world, John 3.16, you know, that God so loved the world that gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But it, and so we know that God loves the world and it is his desire that all the world would come to know him as Lord and Savior. He's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. He, he, he pleaded with Israel, you know, you know, turn ye, turn ye from your ways, for why will ye die, O house of Israel? But yet God's children are a special object of his love you know, we are, we are a specialty to him, you might say. 1 Peter 2.9 says, Ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You know, as a father, I'm more concerned about my children than I am about other people's children. And God's more concerned about you. And your conduct is whether it's pleasing to him. And so he does chasten us for our profit. It is proof of the love of God. Just as, you know, I didn't want my children to go on in sin and I wanted to correct their ways, God desires to correct us when we, when we are, uh, uh, oppose him or go in ways that oppose his word. If you notice in verse 10, he says, "...for they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure." But he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. So God chastens us for our profit, and of course that we might be made more like him. See, God's chastening is for good. It kind of reminds me of what uh, Joseph told his brothers in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, when they came after Jacob had died, and they came and asked Joseph to forgive him, and Joseph said, God meant it unto good to bring to pass, as you see this day. It's not what happens, but how we respond or react. You know, Joseph responded in the right way. And, and so God's chastening of us is, for, for, is proof that he loves us, and, and it's for our good. You know, somebody said our greatest problem is not what's around us, but what's in us. And our circumstances reveal who we really are. And so, you know, God, chastening is proof of God's love for us. Then once you notice the third thing, it is principal or essential for fruit bearing. If you notice in verse 11, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, after it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised, that's a very important word, exercised thereby. So, chastening is essential for fruit bearing. Uh, it, you know, it's, it's, though it seems grievous at the time, you know, as, 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 as parents, sometimes you just, you want to, when will this ever help them, you know? And you, and you get really discouraged and, and you feel like, am I getting anywhere? But we have to keep at it. 
uh, and you know, though it's grievous to us and it's grievous to the to the child, but it is for it is for the purpose of yielding fruit unto them which are exercised thereby. You know, God knows it hurts. He knows how we feel. But it is for a purpose. Look at John chapter 15. John chapter 15. John chapter 15. <clears throat> Verses 1 and 2. It says, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now, we had um, the Smiths over at our house here a couple weeks ago. But it's been probably a month ago now. And uh, we've been wanting to have them for a while. But, not, but I had an ulterior motive also. You know, I have, some, I have a couple little nut trees I planted in the front yard. And then I have a... A um, uh, that Japanese maple that the church got for us at my commissioning, but anyway, and and so I wanted to ask them some things about trimming those, and some other and the rose bushes and all that, and you know he said cut those rose bushes, the dead dead looking things, stalks clear to the ground, and the others about eighteen inches. And wife said, will they grow back? He said, oh, yeah. And then I have this Japanese maple, and it, had, it, has, it has a main branch comes up like this, another one that's pretty close to it coming off, and then there's just one more over this way, and he said, you cut that one off. Really? Yeah. He said, because if you don't, it's going to compete with that main branch, and neither one will, neither one will, will be as it should be. It will, they will both be inferior. And then he looked at my, my uh, little nut trees, and he said, you, that branch that goes out to the side, it was one of the bigger branches. He said, you cut it off. Because he said, you want it to grow up, not out, at this point. And you know, I, I, I did it because I think he knows what he's talking about. But if I would have looked at that tree, I wouldn't have cut off that main branch, at least what I thought was the main branch. No, if you want... More fruit down the road, you have to cut out some things that may appear, may not appear. You know, he talks about sin which does so easily beset us, or lay aside every weight. There may be things you think in your life that aren't so harmful. God says, you need to cut them out. If you want to bear more fruit, you need to cut them out. You need to get rid of it. You need to cut it out. To purge means to cleanse or purify or remove what is offensive. So there's there's things we're going to have to remove that is offensive to God. You know, in Matthew 3, or not Matthew, Malachi 3, 3, the Bible talks about how the Lord sits as a purifier of silver. He's going to refine the the sons of of Judah. And, you know, a, 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 a purifier of silver, he heats the silver... And he, as he heats it hot, as it gets hotter and hotter, he 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 skims off the dross, so the, the impurities come to the top, and he skims them off, and he and he continues heating it until he can see his own image in it. You see, what God does to us as He works in our lives and purges things out, He's getting rid of things in our lives that block His image being seen. 
to the world around us. You see, chastening, therefore, is essential for fruit bearing. You know, when we're chasing our children, what are we trying to do? We're trying to drive sinful habits out of their lives. You know, there's a verse in Proverbs that's very strong. It says, the blueness of a wound cleanseth away evil. Now, I'm not advocating putting marks on your child, but it's better they had some evidence of chastening than to go on in their sin. That's the point. You know, chastening hurts. Chastening hurts. And so it it is essential for fruit bearing in our life. If we're going to bear fruit for the Lord, we have to have to receive of the chastening of the Lord and be exercised thereby. That means we have to respond in a right way to these painful experiences. And so as we think about that, you know, we need to respond in the right way to painful experience. I want to notice several things about that. First of all, you know, to respond in the right way means we must, number one, remember what the Scriptures teach. Again, verse 5. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Now, that is a quote from Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 11. And, and so our response needs to be, we, we, we recognize that this is of God, this is what the Lord says, and, and we're going to receive it as such. And we ought not say, when will I get out of this? But what will I get out of this? In other words, what will I learn or how will I be helped? Out of this. See, remember, God chastens us to correct us. To correct us. Secondly, we respond by remaining in submission to God during those time, these times. And not despise them. If you notice again verse 5, You have forgotten the exhortation speaketh unto children... Unto you as unto children, my son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. The word despise means to condemn or to have the lowest opinion of. Or 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 to consider it worthless. No, we ought not despise the chastening of the Lord. We ought to we ought to consider it. And consider the example of Christ in this. In, in verses 1 through 3, he says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. You know, these people endured great sufferings of affliction for, for, the, for their faithfulness to the Lord. You know, it talks about Gideon and, and Rahab and, and, and all those and how the walls of Jericho came down. And, and you know, they stopped the mouths of lions. That would be Daniel in the lion's den. And, and through, uh, they, they subdued, quenched the violence of a fire. I, I believe that referred to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So there was great affliction to these. And we, we, we consider these that have gone before us. And then he says, looking unto Jesus, verse 2, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. In other words, he didn't, he didn't turn against his father's will. No, he endured it. 
He did not enjoy it. He endured it. He endured becoming sin for us who knew no sin. He, he endured that. It was not a pleasant... He just, you know, and, and, and so he says, despising the, he despised the shame of the cross, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And notice verse 3. Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied in your minds. Contradiction. He endured contradiction against himself. Do you realize the Jews violated their own laws to prosecute him? They violated their own laws. What they did, what they did in his trial was illegal according to Jewish law. They contradicted themselves to condemn a guiltless man. In fact, Nicodemus made reference to that in John chapter 7. Of course, you know, Nicodemus was the man who came to him by night in John chapter 3. And in John chapter 7, we see him come to Jesus' defense. In John 7, verse 45, says, Then came the officers of the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto, him, unto them, Why have you not brought him? In other words, they had sent officers to arrest Jesus. The officers answered, Never a man spake like this man. Then answered them the Pharisees and said, Are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed on him? But this people who knoweth not the law are cursed. Nicodemus saith unto him, He that came to Jesus by night, being one of them, Doth our law judge any man before it hear him, and know what he doeth? Hey, he's reminding them what their law says. Doesn't our our law say we're not supposed to judge a man until we hear him? I mean, they had already judged him. They They had already decided that he's guilty of death. He said, hey, doesn't our law say that we're not to judge a man before we hear him? They answered, verse 52, and said unto him, Art thou also of Galilee? Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. And every man went to his own house. So that's an excuse for not hearing him. Uh, I guess he came out of Galilee, you know. So, so he endured, you know, there was a contradiction of law that took place to prosecute him. It was illegal, according to the own Jewish law. The whole thing was a charade. You ever get treated that way in life? How often have you said, it's just not fair. I heard that many times from my kids until they got the idea that they knew what dad was going to say. Welcome to real life. That's the way life is. Even if it's not fair, we're to remain in submission to God. And that's what Jesus did. He committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Thirdly, we must remain steadfast. Verse 5 again says, You have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto my children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. To faint means to lose or relax or let go or to give up. You know, Galatians chapter 6 verse 9 says, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. 
Proverbs 24.10 says, If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. See, we're not to faint, not to give up. Don't give up on God. Verses 12 and 13, it says, Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down on the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, and let it rather be healed. The words hang down means, again, relax, weakened, or exhausted. Uh, 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 The hands are that with which you lay hold of something. And so the idea is here, we're not to let go of the promises of God. Don't give up on God. Just don't have yourself a pity party and quit. And, of course, the knees, he says, make straight paths for your feet. Or verse, verse, uh, ver, I'm sorry, verse 12. Wherefore, we looked up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Again, feebleness speaks of weakness. Um, and so we're, we're not to give up. We're to remain steadfast. Be like Job. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Trust God that he, his grace is sufficient. And he will meet your every need. And give you the strength to endure the trials, as Paul said in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where, where he said, uh, in 2 Corinthians 12, he said that he would, that he would uh, uh, verse 9 he says, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, and necessities, and persecutions, and distresses for Christ's sake. When I am weak, then am I strong. So we must remain steadfast. Fourthly, we're to run after a proper relationship with the Lord. Verse 14, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. The word follow means to hunt. It's like the idea of to hunt or to pursue. Like a hunter after the, the fowler deer or, or uh, you know, pursuing, pursuing something. It's, sort of, you know, it's like the idea of, of, uh, of uh, Gideon pursuing the Midianites. And so we're to run after, we're to seek peace. Peter says we're to seek peace and ensue it. And so if you fail, you're going to miss God's purpose in your life to bring about this holiness, become partaker of His holiness. So follow peace. Seek after it. Peace or a right relationship with, speaks of a right relationship with God. And again, without that right relationship, he says, no man shall see the Lord. And then, fifthly, receive God's grace through them. Verse 15 through 17 says, Lest there be any fornicator, profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. I'm sorry, verse 15. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator, profane person as Esau, for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know how that afterward... When he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. 
So we're to, we're to look diligently. That, of course, diligently means a steady, a continuous uh, effort, lest we fail of God's grace, unless there becomes a root of bitterness, and we become defiled like Esau. And as we think about Esau, yeah, Esau was a man. Was he's called here uh, a uh, he was called a profane man. Uh, in, in in verse sixteen, you know Esau. The Bible says that Esau in in Genesis despised his birthright. Now the word "despised" there means he regarded it with contempt, worthless. That birthright was a waste of time to him. He wanted the blessing, but he didn't want the birthright because the birthright is spiritual. The blessings were temporal. And he wanted the temporal blessings, but he could care less about being the spiritual head of his family. That's what the birthright was. He had no interest in that. The Bible says he was profane. The Bible here calls him a fornicator, a profane person. So, spiritual things was a waste of time to him. You know, are spiritual things a waste of time to you? But, you know, the Lord in mercy gave opportunity for Esau, but he he found no place for repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. You know, he wasn't sorry he missed the birthright. He was sorry he missed the blessing. He wanted to do his own thing. But he didn't want to live with the consequences of it. The word profane says mis- to mean, means to misuse anything that should be held in reverence or respect. In other words, he wanted to use the birthright for his prestige, for his power, and for his own agenda. It's like a lot of people today in politics, isn't it? They have an agenda. You know, he wanted that position, but he didn't want the spiritual aspect. He had no interest in the things of God. And so the Bible says here that we, we need to, we need to uh, uh, receive God's grace. Look diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness. You know, it's easy to become bitter in times of trials and hardships. But bitterness is a, is, a, is a result of trusting God through those trials. And so, we need to realize that God allows these things to happen in our lives for our profit and for His glory. That we might be made partakers of His holiness it's part of growth. Every child needs chastening. It's part of their growth. In fact, Proverbs says, Thou shalt beat him with the rod and save his soul from hell. You know, I believe that the, the reason we don't see 
see a lot of people saved like they did 40, 50 years ago is because there's a lack of parental correction in homes, which leads to a lack of respect for authority. Which, of course, God is an authority. If they don't respect authority, they won't have any respect for God. And so we have to be aware of this bitterness because it will rob us of the grace of God in our life. We will miss what God has for it. It's a failure to accept God's sovereignty of my life. You know, you, if you compare Joseph and Esau, God accepted whatever came into his life for a purpose. He never rebelled against it or resented it. There's no hint of that. And wherever he went, even in prison, he found favor with God and man. Esau, on the other hand, dwelt in Mount Seir. And you know, he, Esau, in fact, go to, go to uh, Ezekiel chapter 35. Ezekiel chapter 35. <clears throat> Esau affected generations of his kindred in their bitterness and their hatred against Israel. Uh, Ezekiel 35, verse 1 says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Mount Seir, and prophesy against it. And say unto it, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O Mount Seir, I am against thee, and I will stretch out my hand against thee, and I will make thee most desolate. I will lay thy cities waste, and thou shalt be desolate, and thou shalt know that I am the Lord. Because thou hast had a perpetual hatred, hast shed the blood of the children of Israel by the force of the sword in the time of their calamity, in the time that their iniquity have an end. Therefore, as I live, saith the Lord God, I will prepare thee unto blood, and blood shall pursue thee. Seeth thou hast not hated blood, even blood shall pursue thee. And so, of course, Esau, Genesis 36, 8 says, Thus, Esau, or, thus dwelt Esau in Mount Seir, Esau is Edom. It's interesting, the word seer here in this passage means hairy or shaggy. That's the description they gave of Esau when he was born. He was a hairy man. He was a hairy child. He was born a hippie, I guess. He acted like one too. But anyway, uh, and he, see, what he did was his bitterness infected generations of his descendants. And they had a perpetual hatred for the children of Israel. Why? He was a profane man. He was profane. It wasn't that God didn't love him. It's that he had no interest in the things of God. And so, as we consider, you know, why God allows painful experiences in our lives. It, they are for our good. As James says, count it all joy when you fall in diverse temptations, knowing that faith worketh patience. Yet patience have a perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. God allows painful experiences in our lives to draw us really to the end of ourselves and to him. You know, there's an interesting, and I'll, and I'll end with this, but go to Job chapter 33. Job chapter 33. I ran across this the other day, and it really struck me. 
Job 33 and Job chapter 33. This is Elihu speaking to Job. And Job had made a statement somewhere along the way, or in his argument, if you look at chapter 34, verse 9 first. And this is Elihu in his statement to Job um, about you know, what was happening to him. He did, not, he did not justify Job. He did not condemn God. But Job said this, in verse 9, Elihu says this to Job, For he has said, that is, Job has said, It profiteth man nothing that he should delight himself with God. So what profit is there if I serve God? That was kind of the question he was asking. But notice what Elihu says in chapter 33, verse 14. For God speaketh once, yea, twice, yet man perceiveth not. In a dream and a vision of the night, when deep sleep falleth upon men, and slumbering upon the bed, then he openeth the ears of men, and sealeth their instruction that he may withdraw man from his purpose and hide pride from man. So God's purpose is to get pride out of man. He keepeth back his soul from the pit, his life from perishing by the sword. He is chastened also with pain upon his bed, the multitude of his bones with strong pain, so that his life abhorreth bread and his soul dainty meat. His flesh is consumed away that it cannot be seen, and his bones that were not seen stick out. Yea, his, his soul draweth near unto the grave, and his life to the destroyers. So God's bringing man to the end of himself, to despair of even of life. And then he says in verse 23, If there be a messenger with him, an interpreter, one among a thousand, to show unto man his uprightness, God's uprightness, then he, that is God, is gracious unto him, and saith, Deliver him from the going to the pit. I have found a ransom. Of course, our ransom is the Lord Jesus Christ. See, God, God brings catastrophes in the lives of people to bring them to the end of themselves. He chastens His children to correct them that they might be partakers of His holiness. Now, you may have somebody you know that's going through a real hard time. Maybe they're unsaved. This may be their opportunity to receive the truth. And you may be the person you put in their way, that God put in their way. You see, that's what Peter tells us. We're to, we're to um, have a good conversation, which they shall behold, so they can glorify God in the day of visitation. See, God allows painful experiences in, into the lives of his children and the lives of people to bring him to himself in his mercy. Because he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time of your word tonight. Thank you for the encouragement and the challenge it gives to us. Although sometimes we go through these painful experiences, and they are painful, I pray that you'd help us to trust you, to understand and be thoroughly convinced that you know the end from the beginning and that your way is best. And we just need to do like our lovely Lord Jesus who committed himself unto him that judges righteously. So, Father, help us just to commit ourselves to you
and to trust you, knowing that you do all things well. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name.